Today, James chapter 2, 14 through 26. James chapter 2, 14 through 26. So pull out your Bibles, flip to the right, right page, stay there. We're going to walk through it. If you don't have your Bibles, get your phone, go to the right app, skip all of the other apps, get to the Bible app, get to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Pull out your journals, get ready to take some notes, write down, uh, make sure that you're ready to dig in deep as we're just going to walk through this passage. For those of you that are guests here with us today, my sermon series for this year is Walking Through James, verse by verse. We've titled the sermon series, Steadfast Faith for Trying Times. Today, we're looking at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. I've titled this message, Talk is Cheap, Faith Works. We'll talk about what that means in a little bit. But this is the passage where James digs in, and it's one of the more difficult passages, to be honest about it, in the New Testament, where he talks about a faith that works. We believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This passage talks about that, but it talks about faith after justification, faith after salvation, a genuine faith. And so we're going to dive into that. Let me set it up in this way. Do you know anybody that claims to be a runner that never runs? Don't point now. That's not nice. Don't do that. All right. Do you know anybody that claims to work out, but you have never seen them in the gym? Some of you do. You're talking to them right now, right? (laughs) Have you ever heard a politician that praised public schools, but then you learned he sent his own kids to private school? Did you believe him after that? Do you believe words that comes from the mouths of someone who doesn't follow up with actions? Perhaps you have a friend who says, I forgive you, and yet they don't talk to you anymore. Do you really think they forgave you, or do you think they're still holding a grudge against you? Our actions back up our words. It's often said, talk is cheap. It's often said, actions speak louder than words. That's part of what James is trying to get at. I think we probably have all done this at some point in time. Would you confess with me that you've probably said words that you couldn't back up at some point in time? There are only a few of us being honest in this room right now. So, all right, come on, help me out here. I'm going to confess to you one of the times I did so. I was young. I had seen this beautiful young lady, and I had had noticed her beauty and her godliness. She loved the Lord. She shared the gospel. She talked about godly things, and I found out what church she was going to, and suddenly I felt called to go to that church. And I showed up on Sunday morning to find the only seat, which was right beside her. And her her name was Joy. So I would have joy in my heart if this worked out. So this was a good thing too, right? So I sat right beside her and and I asked her, I said, are you coming back for Sunday night church? I found out later she wasn't, but she said yes. So all of a sudden felt like I needed to be back for Sunday night church too, right? And so we sat there. We went outside after Sunday night church. We talked for, I don't know, a couple hours. It seemed like, it didn't seem like long at all. It's one of those conversations where you look at your clock and all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, there are no cars out here. We're the only ones left. We've been talking for several hours. In that conversation, she mentioned to me an interesting fact that a guy who was in pursuit of a girl took note of. She said her washing machine was broken. That's all I needed, right? So I told her, huh, how about that? I can fix washing machines. I'll be glad to come over and take a look at it. So she said, free labor, get a washing machine fixed, sure, come over, give it a try. Foot's in the door, right? Smooth move, you got it? So what did I do next? I go buy a book on how to fix washing machines, because I don't know anything about washing machines. 
I really did. I went to the bookstore and picked up this manual. I found out what kind it was. They have manuals that'll walk you step by step. I read the manual the night before trying to figure out how to fix a washing machine, figure out what was wrong. I go over and I figure out the belt's not where it's supposed to be, doing what it's supposed to be doing, whatever that was. And so I went and got a belt and put the belt back where the belt was supposed to be. It worked for three loads. That's all I needed. Okay? Three loads was perfect. But three loads, it broke. And I don't have a clue what was wrong with it. It didn't matter at that point, right? And so she knows I'm no washing machine repairman. I said I was because I really liked her. I was pursuing a relationship there. And so I used words that I couldn't back up at the end of the day. You've seen it happen time and time again. Somebody goes away to a youth rally. They go away to a summer camp. They go to a service. There's a lot of singing. It's emotional Somebody gives an appeal and they make a profession of faith. They come back to school, they go back to -to day-to-day life, nothing changes, nothing seems to happen, yet they've made this profession of faith. And we look and we ask and we wonder, is that genuine? Is that the gospel? Is that person really saved? You share the gospel with somebody and it's a short encounter and you know you don't have long and you try to explain the gospel and, and what they hear you saying is that you are offering them fire insurance. You are offering them an opportunity to live life however they want to and have a get out of hell free card. Is that the gospel? No. Is that genuine saving faith? Somebody hears a sermon or perhaps they missed here a sermon and they understand that if they pray the prayer that the preacher prays at the end of the service, that perhaps those are some magical potion words that are gonna allow the gates of heaven to suddenly open up for them as some mysterious Harry Potter wizardry takes place. And so all they have to do is pray these magic words. They can live life however they want. No change, nothing happens. But if they pray these magic words, they're gonna be okay. Is that saving faith? No. And that's what James is talking about. Talk is cheap, faith works. Some words stated in a time of emotional manipulation, pressure, struggle, that don't demonstrate life change, that don't demonstrate any fruit, that doesn't change your life, your desires, your actions, your focus, is that genuine faith? Here's what James is talking about. James chapter two, verse 14 to 26. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith, but he does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. 
Dear Lord, as we look at this passage, I pray that you would help me in my words to be clear. I pray that anything I say today that is useful through the power of your spirit would be remembered. Things that may not be helpful would just be forgotten. Lord, we pray that as we look at a difficult passage, you would help us to bring clarity to our own minds about how this fits with the New Testament. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see here that James is talking about genuine faith. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for the praise reports for Aaron. I thank you for the praise reports for Crestlin. I thank you, Lord, for working in the hearts and lives of students, faculty, and staff on this campus. And we pray that today your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And you may be seated. First, what we see in James chapter 2 is we see the question, what is genuine saving faith? You see it, James chapter 2, verse 14. He asks a question here. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? In other words, is that faith a genuine faith? Is that faith a faith that is a saving faith? If that faith, so to speak, that this person has, has no works that accompanies it, no life change, no trajectory of life change, nothing that can demonstrate that anything has happened in that life, is that saving faith? James here sets up a contrast that's between a faith that has works and a faith that does not have works. This is not a contrast between faith and works. So we have to understand clearly the context of what James is talking about. He's all through this book been talking to us about a genuine faith or saving faith. And he continues to do that, to provide tests so that we can evaluate ourselves, so that we are not deceived, so that we can know for sure that we have the faith that leads to ultimate justification. To accomplish his purpose of talking about this faith, he begins with an illustration. Second, we see this illustration in verses 15 through 17. He says here, if, a conditional statement, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, Perhaps they have only an inner tunic on, not an outer garment on. Perhaps their clothes are a little shabby. Uh, Perhaps they're not dressed in an appropriate way. If a person does not have the proper clothing and they lack in daily food. Now, this is a brother or sister, and they don't have the right clothes. And they also don't have food for the day. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them anything needed for the body. What good is that? Here we see James answering his question that he has already asked us in verse 17. So also, faith by itself. Now, in this, he means faith without works. Faith that leads to no works. Faith that produces no fruit. That faith, well, that faith is dead. That's not genuine faith. That's not a saving faith. Those are mere words and talk is cheap. We might say it a different way. We might say if we see somebody, a brother or sister among us, We might look at them and say, hey, man, you should take better care of yourself. Put more clothes on. You look a little shabby. Go have a meal. You look a little skinny. See you later. Is that the proper response? Perhaps we might say something like this. May God bless you. May God feed you and clothe you because I sure won't. Hashtag praying for you. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like something that someone might say? And when we look at that, we say to that person, that's not genuine saving faith. That's not a faith that works. That's not a faith that leads to fruit. That's not what we're talking about today. All this week, we've been having dine out for hunger. Tonight on campus, between 6 and 10, we'll have food trucks out where you can go and purchase food at the food trucks. And part of that proceeds from that will be given to help those who are hungry, those who need to be fed. This is a great program. But this passage in James, it goes even further than that. It goes deeper than that. 
It says, this is a brother or sister. This is not trying to feed someone you may not know. This is somebody that you know, you see, you know there's a genuine need. They don't have clothes. They don't have food. And instead of helping them, we look at them and we say, go get more clothes. Go eat some food. We're not going to do anything to help you. Is that genuine faith? So at this point, we remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, verses 38 through 40. And when did we see you, a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. James provides an illustration that demonstrates this point. Is that faith genuine, saving faith? Third in this text, we see a hypothetical objection. Look at verse 18. Starts out and it says, Someone will say, Who's the someone? We don't know. Perhaps this was a genuine objection in the church that James was dealing with. Perhaps not. It is a someone. We have to assume because we can't prove otherwise, this is a hypothetical objection. This someone will come along and say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, he says, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, he's saying, I will demonstrate to you my genuine faith by my works. Look at what he says here in verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, or some of your translations may use the word tremble. Even the demons believe and tremble. You think about this text. He says to you, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? The word useless here is a word we've seen other places in the New Testament. It's agros in the Greek. It means idle. It means not working. Jesus used it when he told the parable in Matthew 20 about the workers. Used it in verse 3 and verse 6. The workers who were not going out into the fields. The workers who were idle. The workers who were not doing anything. They were standing there waiting to be chosen to go work. And so here James is saying a faith that doesn't do anything. A faith that believes. A faith like the demons or the devil has that doesn't lead to any fruit or any action. That faith is an idle faith. It's a not working faith. It's a faith that has not been employed for the day. It is a useless faith. And so James, again, reiterating his main point throughout this text, can that faith save? James reiterating again, that type faith is dead. He says that type faith is useless in this particular text, and we see it here. Now, my purpose today is not to make you doubt your salvation. There are some of you in the room that are so spiritually sensitive that when I read a text like this, you start thinking about one sin you've committed here or a struggle that you may have there, and all of a sudden you start thinking, oh, maybe I'm not saved. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about the fact that once we are all saved, that we all still have a sinful nature. We all still struggle with sins. We don't want to commit those sins, but we still have a fallen nature, and we do things we don't want to do. We struggle against that sinful nature in our lives. We try to overcome that. The desire to struggle and overcome against your own sinful nature, that trajectory of life is a positive sign for you to say that you are a believer. What I'm talking about are those of you that may be in the room or those that may be listening or watch this at some other point, that you don't have that desire. You believe you said a prayer and that prayer has saved you and you have done nothing to follow God. You don't have a desire to read his word. You don't try to know more about him. You don't want to live a life that glorifies him. It's not a works earned salvation, but it's loving Christ and doing what pleases God so that you will know him more. You don't take joy in those things. If that's you, then you need to feel the weight of this text too. I don't need to lighten this text too much for you because James in this text says to us as he's challenging us on genuine faith, he says, you believe God is one, the Shema Israel. Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He says something to his readers that they were familiar with, they would know. He says to them, even the demons believe and tremble. 
the knowledge of a fact, the knowledge of the right words is not saving faith. The knowledge in your head that has never traveled to your heart, that never produces fruit, is not saving faith. As a five-year-old boy, I went down an altar and went to the front, and they asked me some diagnostic questions. I was the preacher's kid. I knew the answers to all the questions. It was Bible drill time. I thought that was fun. Ask me more questions. I'm ready for this. But I did not have saving faith until much later on in life when I was convicted of my own sin. My heart was changed. The Holy Spirit regenerated me. My desires changed from being a self-centered, selfless life to living for Christ and living for His purposes. James wants you to evaluate your faith, to evaluate yourself. That's his application. If I told you this morning that I'm a guitar player, would you believe me? Yes or no? Would you believe me? Never? Never? And two, yeah. All right, hold on one sec. All right. Maybe, maybe I need to show you my guitar. This is my personal guitar, okay? All right, I'm going to show it to you. All right, I'll, some of, I'll try to hold it still so some of you can get a, get a good shot here. All right, this is a 1957 Les Paul Jr. For those of you that know about instruments, this instrument is a college tuition. <laughs> right? Those of you that know, that, that's it. I own this guitar. Now, how many of you believe I know how to play? Some of you have been here too long. You know I'm setting you up, right? I don't have the foggiest idea what to do from this point forward, right? Like, I, I've got a pick, because this pick's probably 20 years old, too, but I'm going to put it back so I don't lose it, because it was grandpa's. Does it even fall out? All right. This guitar is my grandfather's. My grandfather died. He went to be with the Lord, and... Part of what I received, I'll just lay right here. It'll be fun. Part of what I received, I don't know anything about guitars. When he died was, was his guitar. Now, my grandfather could play that thing. In fact, when, when we would get together for families, my mom plays the piano, my dad plays the guitar, my grandfather played the guitar, and we would have, we would have family quartet time. I mean, it was, I played the drums. We, they didn't always want me playing the drums in the house. But anyway, it was, we would just, we'd have a good time. I know nothing about that. My grandfather did. My dad did. My dad still plays. My dad plays very well. And, and I have one. Am I a guitar player? Come on, you can answer. No, I'm not. Why? Because I can't play. I have it. I own it. My grandfather had it. He could play it. My dad had it. That didn't transition to me. There may be some of you that you have a grandfather or grandmother that were super spiritual. There may be some of you that had mom or dad, super spiritual. But if you examine your own heart and your own mind, their desire for God, their desire for the scripture, their desire to live a life that had fruit has not transitioned to you because it's not your desire. And what James is saying here is believing in facts is not saving faith. That the facts that we believe, if it's true faith, it's going to change the way we live our life. We're going to have a desire to please God. We're going to have a desire to worship God, to sing praises to God, to study his word, to know more about him, to love others, to fulfill the commands. And when we do things wrong, and we will, when we sin, it's going to break our heart. There's going to be a guilt there. We're going to say, God, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to do these things. We're going to have a desire that God one day take this away from me. 
That's our blessed hope that when we die, we're going to experience a resurrection. We're going to go live forever with him and we're not going to struggle with that sinful flesh that weighs us down anymore. We are going to be free to worship God as we were intended to. Is that your desire? Is that your hope? That's saving faith. It's not talk. Talk's cheap. Faith works. James, all throughout his book, has given us these examples. How do we know genuine faith from not genuine faith? How do we know mature faith? Here's the test, just up to this point of what we've covered. So give yourself the test. Examining my faith, how do I handle trials? James 1, 2 through 4. If I stand steadfast through trials, if my faith stands firm, that's a good thing. That's a good sign. If every trial that comes my way, I start questioning everything in life and I go, I go off all of the walls, bouncing back and forth, and the sky is falling, that's not a good thing. Check my faith. Am I double-minded? Am I trying to put one foot in the world and have one foot in the things of Christ? And as I'm, am I standing on the bank and on a ship at the same time, wavering back and forth? Am I that unsteady, double-minded person who is blown to and fro with every wind and every wave that comes? If I am blown to and fro, if I am not steady, if I am not steadfast, check my faith. I'm either not mature or I may not be a believer at all. Am I quick to hear? Am I slow to speak? Am I slow to anger? James 1.19. Do I get angry quickly, fly off the handle? That's not a mature faith. Do I talk quickly and speak even when I have no knowledge or am I quick to listen? Do I put away filthiness and wickedness or do I plan to indulge in such worldliness? James 1.21. Am I a doer of the word or do I listen and never respond? James 1.22. Do I watch what I say? Do I care for the needy of society, the orphans and the widows? Do I keep myself unstained from the world? James 1.26 and 27. Do I show partiality, James 2, 1 through 13, and now does my faith demonstrate the fruit of a believer or is this faith merely words that lead to no action? James 2, 14 through 26. That's the test. You can take that test to examine, do I have genuine faith or false faith? Am I deceived? You can take that test to say, where am I in a maturity of my spiritual walk? How am I doing with these things? You can take this test regularly to say, Lord, I need help in this area. But when you take this test, you feel the weight and it begins to bear down on you. And we must again remember that we go back to the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. For without his Holy Spirit working through us, we cannot bear the burden of the weight of James. James moves here from this hypothetical objection then to the next, which is an an example. His first example that he shows us is Abraham. Look with me in verse 21. Verse 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Now on the screen, I have for you this particular text, at least I think I do. Example number one, Abraham, there it is. Genesis 22. This I think is important. I think it's helpful. James in proving this is moving from the demons that believe and tremble, but do nothing with it to Abraham, who in Genesis 22 was tested He was tested to offer up his son Isaac. And then he switches. And in verse 22, he goes back and you say, you see that his faith was active. You see that along with his works and his faith was completed by his works. And then in verse 23, he jumps back in the Old Testament to Genesis 15, 6. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What's James doing here? James is saying that there was a test that Abraham went through. The James 1, 2 through 4 test. And Abraham passed the test. Abraham's faith that was in Genesis 15 was proven to be a genuine faith in Genesis 21, Genesis 22, 
in the test that he went through. And so here, James is providing an example of what he's talking about. Now, this example gets difficult. We'll deal with the difficulty, but we have to see first the context of the example here. You see, as you move to verse 24, the problem. He says here, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, notice the word alone. Remember that the context of our passage is that James is talking about a faith that works versus a faith that doesn't do anything else. And he's saying in this, you are justified by a faith that works, not a faith that doesn't work. But that one verse is still problematic. You look out at different books that have been written just on this one verse, talking about how do you mesh together what Paul says and what James says? How do you fit the two together? And when we come to a difficult passage of Scripture, there are some few things that we do to make sure that we handle it correctly. First of all, we have a high view of Scripture here. When we look at an apparent problem in Scripture, we don't look at it and go, oh, there's an error. My whole faith is blown apart. We look at it and we say, this is difficult. I need to dig deeper. I need to learn more. We dig into the Word of God. We come with a high view of Scripture. We look at the context. We look at the meaning of the words in the context to determine what is somebody talking about. Let me give you an example of why this is important. What does the word rock mean? What does it mean? Okay, this is a university. Somebody should know what the word rock means. What does it mean? A rock, right? Igneous, sedimentary, metamorphic. Three types of rocks. It's a rock. It's a rock on the ground, a rock that you throw and skip across the water. It's a rock. Is that the only thing a rock means? Rock. Let's rock. There's a musical style that perhaps you like. Perhaps I don't like that much. But there's a musical style known as rock and roll. Rock, right? How many of you like rock? Yeah, okay. That's fine. Rock. Rock a bye baby in the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. What does rock mean in that context? It means to rock back and forth. Sit in a rocking chair when you go eat at uh, Cracker Barrel out in front. You rock back and forth, right? <laughs> they don't have rock and roll, but they have rocking chairs. They have a rock there, all right? What does rock mean? The rock. Do you smell what the rock is cooking, right? I don't know. How many of you know the rock? Four of you, all up there, all right. Does it matter if I know which way I'm using the word rock? Yeah. So in a lot of your arguments and a lot of your disagreements and a lot of your theological disputes, the first question you need to ask is define your terms. What do you mean by that? Even when you're having arguments with roommates, even when you're having an argument with a spouse, even when you're talking to a friend and you're having this disagreement, it's always good to say, wait a second, time out. What do you mean by that word? Because once you understand what they mean by the word, sometimes the disagreements just go away. We look at the context here. We allow scripture to interpret scripture. We need to look at what Paul says in Romans and then elsewhere. We allow the clearer passages to interpret the less clear passages. This is a difficult text. We all wish James would have said something along the lines of genuine faith results in works or works confirm that the faith is genuine, but he didn't. So we look at a few other passages. Here's the apparent problem. Romans 4, 2, and 3. In Romans 4, 2, and 3, it says this. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see it there on the screen. 
If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. He's quoting the same passage that James is quoting. You see the apparent contradiction here. So how do we solve that? Douglas Moo, in his commentary on James, page 106, says this, quote, The difference between Paul and James consists in the sequence of works and conversion. Paul denies any efficacy to pre-conversion works. But James is pleading for the absolute necessity of post-conversion works. Paul is talking about pre-conversion. You are not saved by your works. You are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. But James is saying genuine faith, the faith that actually saves you at the ultimate justification is a genuine saving faith that works, that demonstrates works. You're not saved by works. You're saved by faith. But true faith is going to change the way you live your life. Paul anticipated the problem of his words because in his words, the problem was going to be cheap grace, cheap faith. And so in Romans 3, 8, Paul said, and why not do evil that good may come? In other words, why should I not just sin all over the place so that more grace will come on top of that sin? God has already paid for all of my sin. So the more I sin, the more grace that's there. So should I just keep sinning so that the grace just keeps flowing? Let's just sin all over the place and make grace bigger and bigger and bigger. And Paul writes, and why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, In Romans 6, he answers this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. May it never be. God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in sin? We look at other scriptures. We look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You would quote this one and say, By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But look at verse 10. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's no contradiction here. We are created for good works. If you have faith that is just words that never leads to fruit, that's cheap talk, not true faith. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.13. Each one's works will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, Paul's saying again, don't keep sinning. But through love, serve one another. Now, is Paul adding serving one another as a requirement to salvation? No, he's saying if you're saved, you demonstrate that by serving one another. Matthew seven fifteen through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Is Jesus saying that you have to have works to be saved? No. He's saying genuine faith produces fruit. How do we know that we are a follower of Christ? We test our faith so that we're not deceived. We look at ourselves. We look at the fruit that we are producing. If we are producing no fruit, we need to go to the Lord in prayer and study his word to see what's going on in our lives. What's happening? Lord, am I truly a believer? Do I really follow you? Where's my faith? We test ourselves. We see it. Paul answers how we are initially saved. James answers what is genuine faith. Paul's concern is initial justification. James' concern is final or ultimate justification. Paul writes to those trying to work their way into heaven and says to them, no, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
James writes to those who have uttered words, but felt every test of genuine faith to say to them, your words are meaningless. You don't mean them. Your words do not represent genuine saving faith. James, Paul, and Jesus and the rest of the New Testament conclude that genuine faith will produce fruit or works, as James mentions here. Fourth, we see an example of Rahab, James 2, 25 and 26. Lest you think Abraham's the only one. Abraham, the father of the faith, the pinnacle of all pinnacles. He's the one that demonstrates the works, right? That's Abraham. James says, oh, well. And in the same way was not Rahab. Lest we forget who Rahab was, which we wouldn't, James reminds us. Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. You remember the story. You remember how when they came, Rahab told them that when they had come out of Egypt and they'd gone through the Red Sea, the hearts melted of all the people. They knew that God was the true God, that God was with them, and their hearts had melted. They had no courage left. At that point, she had believed, and she demonstrated that belief in the one true God by receiving them and by hiding them and by sending them out a different way. She followed up her faith with actions that demonstrated she had a true, genuine, saving faith. And so... James says, that's a faith that works. Justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. And then James, for the fourth time in this text, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. What's the emphasis of James? It's clear. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? James 2.14, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James 2.20. Do you want to be shown, a foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless, idle? James 2.26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We are saved by grace alone, through genuine saving faith alone, in Christ alone. That genuine saving faith will produce fruit or works to verify that you have not been deceived, but that you have a genuine faith in Christ. Now, there may be somebody in the room today, and as you take the test that James offers, you ask yourself the question, you're not sure if the faith that you have is the genuine saving faith. If that's you, your next class, just go up and talk to the professor. If that's you, go to an administrator's office, go to an RD's office, an RA's office, find somebody down front here after the service to talk to them and say, I'm just not sure that my faith is that genuine faith that has fruit. I promise you, in any class that you're taking, you go to the teacher and you say, I need to talk about my salvation. That teacher will take the time to talk with you about your salvation. There's no more important decision you can make than your eternal destiny. So today, along with James not trying to make you doubt your salvation in any way, not trying to put added pressure on you. We are all saved by grace. But today with James, I say to you, do you have a faith that works? Do you have a faith that doesn't work? Talk is cheap. Faith works. Let's pray. Dear Lord, again, I pray today that you would work in the hearts and minds of all of us, Lord. Lord, as we evaluate if we have been deceived or if we have true, genuine faith, I pray that you would reveal that to us clearly. Lord, as we think about these passages and we think about our own fallenness, our own sinfulness, and all of us, Lord, are fallen, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit working through us, we pray for mercy and grace from the cross. 
And so, Lord, may my words today not add a burden to those who are very sensitive in their faith about their salvation, very sensitive about their sinfulness. But, Lord, if somebody has a genuine faith, I pray your spirit will confirm that in their lives and give them a peace, Lord, so that they will know that they have a genuine faith in you. Lord, I pray that you will be glorified as we seek to become mature followers of Christ that will stand steadfast, that we will have steadfast faith for trying times. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are dismissed.